Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Shalmina Babai Abji, welcome to the conversation today. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm joined by my co-host, Angela Schill. And today, Shalmina is joining us from the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle Bellevue area. Uh, Angela and I are south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Today, we're going to be talking about Shalmina's book, Show Your Worth, Eight Intentional Strategies for Women to Emerge as Leaders at Work. Uh, First of all, I love the title. Uh, super important, perfect fit for what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as we get started, I wanted to share a little bit of Shalmina's bio with everybody. Shalmina Babai Abji is an author, board member, speaker, former IBM VP, angel investor, and distinguished alumni who is devoted to creating gender equality and leadership by helping career women emerge as leaders. She started her journey with humble beginnings in Tanzania. Driven by her desire to lift herself and her family out of poverty, she left home at the age of 15 to pursue higher education. When she started her career, she was she was an underrepresented woman in the male-dominated field of technology. She was also undereducated as compared to others, underprivileged in her economic status, and underproficient in the language and culture. She went from being the first college graduate in her family to becoming one of the highest-ranking women of color at IBM while raising her two children as a single mother. Now, I've only scratched the surface with kind of your introduction uh, but that's incredible in and of itself. Anything you would like to highlight by way of your background or personal context before we really dig into the conversation and your story? You did great. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, just listening to that little piece about your life, I hope that some more of your story will come out as we ask you our questions today, Shalmina. But I'm, and I'm hoping maybe they'll show up in this question, which is what inspired you to write this book? Yeah. So as John said, I came from humble beginnings, you know, started feeling under and my unders obviously were in my own head and they got me to undermine my own capabilities and underestimated my worth. Um, That's that's why the title of the book is Show Your Worth. Um, I started there. And as he mentioned, I rose to become one of the highest ranking women of color at IBM. Angela, while I was going through my career journey, and frankly, even my personal journey, starting with my mom, right? Um, She was my inspiration to obtain a college degree because she was working so hard. And it was hard for me to watch her cook for others. You know, we would sell food on the street. And I was convinced that if I obtained a college degree, we'd never have to be poor again. So Starting from there to having all these people help me. Now, I faced a lot of internal and external barriers, more internal barriers than external barriers, because there was no no one that ever looked like me or spoke like me in any roles that I was in 
or the roles I was aspiring to get into. And so that just created all these interesting dynamics. Um, and in my book, in intentional relationships, I quote the great American author, Alex Haley. I, he says, when you see a turtle on a ledge, you know it had helped getting there. And that's my story. And every time someone helped me, I wanted to help them, but I wasn't in a position. And then at the peak of my career, I was in a position to help others. Mm -hmm. And so I left my job to focus on helping a few people be successful, basically to pay, you know, I was paying forward to pay back to the people that had helped me. Mm. But that started a brand new journey for me. And just like my success at work, initially I was settling for small successes, but with every level of success, new possibilities opened up. I dreamed bigger, I dreamed bolder. And the same thing happened in this journey. Initially, I started mentoring hundreds of women. And then I saw that they were struggling with the same internal and external barriers that I was struggling with so many years ago. They too were settling for small successes. They too were undermining their capabilities and underestimating their worth because they didn't see people that they could relate to that looked like them in leadership roles. And so as I started sharing my insights with them, I saw that their careers started transforming that they started emerging as leaders and that got me to dream bigger. I thought if I could have, if I can help hundreds of women, I can help thousands of women. And the way to do that is by writing a book. Oh, I love that. Putting more and more turtles on the shelf, on the, on the ledge. I love that so much. That's so, the goal. Great image. Well, you know, you're, you've been talking about these internal and external barriers and I'm just curious what those looked like and what those were in terms of, I mean, you talk about this transformation of getting from this place of undervaluing and then coming to a place where you experienced it and then you helped other people get there. What was that? I mean, I'm curious about the barriers and also what the transition looks like from people who are taking small wins and suddenly their careers are transforming because of this information. Yeah. So for me, Angela, you know, when I graduated with a degree in computer science from a small university, University of Wisconsin in La Crosse, mm -hmm. no one comes to my university to hire people. They go to all the Ivy League colleges, right? And so I went to a conference and I handed out over 300 resumes, even though I was on a dean's list, even though I had worked 35 to 40 hours a week, in addition to a full computer science workload just to pay for my college. Wow. No one was willing to even interview me because I didn't have the right visa status. I was in the United States as a student. And so I had this one year work visa and most companies don't want to hire someone that is there just for a year. However, on the last day of that conference, one company in St. Paul, Minnesota, they were building the world's fastest supercomputer. It was called ETA Systems. They interviewed me and hired me. And they offered me $27,000 a year starting salary. And that was more money than my parents could make in 10 years. And I thought, that's it. We're never going to be poor again. Spring in my step, I show up to work extremely grateful, really excited. And then I go to work. And as John read from my bio, 
I started looking around and I saw everyone had more advanced degrees than I did. They went to Carnegie Mellon, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all these big name universities. They spoke excellent English. They were dressed up nicely. And immediately in my own head, I thought, what would I know that they don't already know? What value will I be able to create for this organization? And so what that did is it instilled fear of speaking up. Mm -hmm. And so while I did as a programmer, you know, you sit at your computer and you do a great job. I did a great job at that. But whenever I had an idea outside of my project, when if we were in a meeting, I was afraid to speak up because my voice of fear ringing loud in my head, Shalmina, don't speak up. There's nothing you know that they don't already know. If you speak up, they might even fire you. They will know you're stating the obvious. You might sound stupid. All this negative mental chatter and the good news, which did not seem like good news at that time, the good news, and it seems like every adversity that came my way was actually a blessing in disguise. And so the good news was that within a year, Angela, if I didn't figure out a way to create unique value, not any value that anyone, everyone else can create, unique value that makes me difficult to replace, then by law, they were required to hire someone that had the right visa status. And they were a startup company. They wouldn't go through the expenses, the resources that would be required to keep me here. And so that put me sort of between a rock and a hard place. And it became the compelling event that forced me to face my fear and to speak up. And, you know, <laughs> courage is not the absence of fear. It's just doing what you need to do because you must do it. And so the first time I spoke up, my my stomach was tight. You know, I didn't breathe until I was done. But the point is, and this is what my TEDx talk is about, right? Is a lot of women have a tendency to undermine their capabilities. A lot of women are afraid to speak up, especially in front of senior executives. And if you want to emerge as a leader, if you want to get visibility, then you must learn to speak up. You must learn to face your fear. And so that's an internal barrier that you, you asked for an example. The external barrier comes, but first you have to you have to have victory over your internal barriers. Otherwise, you will not be able to fight the external barriers. But the external barriers come as you are climbing the corporate ladder, as you are advancing in your career. And people have never seen anyone that looks like you or speaks like you in those roles. They have a tendency to undermine your capabilities. And when someone does that, you have a tendency to react. But that's the last thing you want to do. So I have coined this term, actually, it's called the power quotient. Your power quotient is your ability to pick an empowering response to a disempowering stimulus, whether the stimulus is internal, like fear, or external, where someone undermines you, because you have the capacity to just stop, scan your mental chatter, because your mental chatter will be telling you to react. Yeah. But you can scan your mental chatter and you can intentionally pick an empowering response by feeding the voice instead of fear, feed courage. Instead, I love that so right? much. Right? <laughs> it's right? amazing. Right? Instead yeah. of getting upset at this individual, 
which is not going to serve you. You're going to give your power away to that individual. What you want to do is feed your voice that says, we got to educate him. Let's show your worth, prove your capabilities, demonstrate what you're able to achieve and change their opinion. It's not their fault that they're undermining you. They just don't know better. I like so- the generosity of that. Um, <laughs> I, I do think sometimes, unfortunately, people do know better. <laughs> but, you know, trying to be generous and and uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt, I think it is a more productive path uh, to try to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Like Angela said, I, I love everything that you're saying. And and for a moment, I'm I'm putting on, you know, I'm I'm. I'm a dude. And so I'm, I'm thinking of myself as an advocate and an ally. That's my, my desire. That's my intention. And, but I also realize like it, one of the things I find myself struggling with is the balance between advocacy versus empowerment. Maybe that's the right way to put it. I'm not sure uh, because I, I hesitate. I don't want to speak for other people. Um, I don't want to f- have to fight other people's fights for them and, and thereby disempower them, right? Because though my intentions might be good, I, I can undermine them and how they're perceived by others if if I step in in places where maybe it, it would be better for them to, to you know, lean into their courage and, and do it themselves. Uh, I, I'm wondering, like, any thoughts on how, you know, for, for dudes like me who, who want to help, um, but also, like, not inadvertently harm? (laughs) Like, how can I I go about doing that? I love that question, John. Thank you so much for asking. So you are 100% right, is that when they are in the room, you want to encourage them to speak up. You could coach them, you could build them up, you could give them my book, you could ask them to watch my TEDx talk, but, but don't fight their battle for them. Show them that you have confidence in them that they can fight their own battles. Mm -hmm. But when they are not in the room, you must advocate for them. And what I tell women is that, and and I call, I use the term sponsors, right? Your sponsors are the people that are going to speak up for you when you're not in the room. And I tell women that they're not going to speak up for you because you're a woman or because they like you. Because if they advocate for you, and if they recommend you for a big job, if you fail, that goes against them. And so it is up to you to earn that sponsorship. It is up to you to prove your worth and to show your worth predictably and consistently so they know that no matter what kind of position you're going to be put in, because in a new role, there's going to be uncertainty. And you have to be able to deal with that uncertainty. It will require new competence. You have to have shown that you have the ability to build new competence by stepping outside your comfort zone. Because here's the thing, John, the world takes you at your own estimate. If you don't trust yourself to take on tough assignments, no one's going to give you tough assignments. If you don't have trust in your own competence, in your own confidence, you can't expect them to. Now, it is a journey. People like you can encourage women along the way, but you can't do it for them because they have to be in those situations and be able to get it done. And that's how they're going to build their confidence. Yeah, I like that. Um, And I, 
the the contrast here, you know, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking, man, I've been in so many rooms, so many meetings with, I mean, there, there are just so many mediocre white guys who sit on boards and are in executive leadership roles. (laughs) So like the standard for what you're describing for women is a different standard than I think white guys have to deal with, you know, that just get invited into the room. And that's unfortunate, but it's also the reality. Um, Yeah. Exactly. And this is why my focus on advancing women into leadership roles, because until there are enough of us visible in all those high level roles, these conscious, unconscious biases, negative stereotypes will prevail. And going back to what you were saying about, you know, calming that mental chatter, there's this piece of there's this bridge of getting to a place where you believe that worth is in you. You have to get there. And I'm thinking through this, is this just a process of, you know, where you came from? What was that for you? Was it repetition in your own mind? Was it just not listening to the fears or the the lies about you not being competent in some way or or whatever it was that made you feel less than to then be able to say, no, I am now going to have that voice and prove my worth and show these people they don't know who I am, but they will value me because of what I can show them. Yeah. You know, it was a journey, Angela. It was the recognition that I had value to contribute that would contribute towards the success of my organization. So this was no longer about my little project that I was working on. It was about sharing ideas, sharing perspectives that will contribute towards the success of your organization. That recognition is really important. And then when you step into your power and you start speaking up and you start creating value and you start seeing that the value you're creating is moving your organization forward, that builds even more confidence to keep bringing those values forward. And and for me, I also had to go through um, learning how to speak in a way that I would be heard Mm. because English is not my first language, right? And so it's up to us. We, We have to own this, right? And then when people were interrupting me, I had to learn how to not let them interrupt me. And I got the confidence of asking them, to let me finish without taking a please is Mm. because I knew what I was about to say was for the benefit of the audience, was for the benefit of the organization. It is in their best interest to listen to me. But this doesn't happen overnight, right? Right. This, This is small successes at a time, baby steps at a time. And then the more you do this, then the more confident you become. Then you step outside your comfort zone even more and you take even more chances. And the more chances you take on yourself, you will find more chances people will take on you. And that becomes an upward spiral for success, upward spiral for value contribution. I just need to take this in for a minute. That's so, it's such powerful information. It really is empowering to listen to you speak. Um, I'm just, I I kind of don't want to leave this space. I could, I think we can change. I'm going to change gears for a minute, but maybe we can come back to this and maybe it all ties in together. But you talk about intentionally 
In your book, you talk about intentionally focusing your attention on your highest priorities and then going from being busy to suddenly being productive. This stood out to me as well for a myriad of reasons, but what is your advice on how to make the most of our time in that with that mindset when you've got a million things to do? Yeah. And, and you know, Angela, this is so important. Um, and Warren Buffett has actually said this. The difference between successful people and highly successful people is that highly successful people will say no to almost everything. Because you have 24 hours in a day and you have a choice of where to allocate those 24 hours. And if you become intentional about focusing your attention only on your highest and the most strategic priorities, that automatically means you have to say no to lesser priorities. Mm -hmm. However, for most women, we think if we say no to something, then people won't like us. And I was very fortunate, going back to Alex Haley's quote, I was very fortunate that when I joined sales and I started saying yes to all the opportunities that were in my pipeline, working 60 hours a week and not making any meaningful progress, mm -hmm. my boss coached me to qualify the opportunities and only work on the opportunities that would maximize my chances of achieving my business outcome which automatically meant that I had to say no to other opportunities. And when you work in an organization like IBM, where you have to say no to someone today, and that someone might be sitting in a room where your promotion is being discussed, the way you say no really matters. And so I teach women in my book, step by step on how to say no by being kind to the individual and remaining firm on your decision and explaining your decision that you're saying no because you have said yes to something that will move your organization's success forward. So this is not about being selfish. This is about doing the right thing for the success of your company. You earn respect that way. You should never be aspiring to be liked, aspire to be respected. And this was also coaching from my first sales manager when I got into sales. And that has changed the way I say yes and I say no. Aspire to be respected. respected not to be liked. Wow. Yeah. And I think it, it comes back to what you were saying before. Like you set up boundaries you stay firm to them and you don't apologize for them um and that's something that i mean i i think that's good advice for everybody but it does seem to be something that women tend to do more than men is uh they tend to want to please uh those who are asking them to do something and so either they kind of cave on the boundary or they they say oh i'm sorry I can't do this for whatever reason. And in that apology, just you lose power in that. Yes. Um, and and I'm, I'm all for <laughs> apologizing when an apology is appropriate, but you don't need to apologize to somebody for simply holding firm to your boundaries and clarifying what your priorities are, right? Yes, yes. And I say that in my book is when you apologize when not needed, it's actually a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. When you apologize when needed, it's a sign of strength. And you know what else happens, John and Angela, is when we say yes to everything, we are overwhelmed. We are burnt out. Our physical health suffers. Our mental health suffers. We're not able to show up to work in our full glory. And 
no one in their right mind is going to give you more responsibilities when you are already overwhelmed at your current level of responsibilities. This is why we have a problem of not moving ahead in our career because we are basically demonstrating that I don't have the ability to prioritize and set boundaries. Yeah. And you also talked earlier on, you know, about kind of settling for the easy wins, the low hanging fruit, and that's safe. Uh, you can, you can feel like you have control in that space and you, so you can chip away at it. You put in the work, you know, you show up, you do the work, you have your easy wins. Um, but the big wins always take more of a gamble. They always take, you know, more of kind of a, that aspirational intention with your recognition, you may not actually get there um, and you may fall on your face and to be okay with that, to be okay with learning from the setbacks that may occur as you're trying to grow and develop. Um, that's, I, that's a hard thing for everyone to learn. I think that that's, that's a, a really important life lesson uh, generally speaking. And I love that advice um, within this context of, of talking about really empowering women to emerge as leaders, because un unless you start, I mean, we, we can, we can spend all of our time. There's a never ending cascade of like busyness and things that need to get done. And we can spend all of our time doing those things and never get to the things that matter, never get to the things that are most important. We're going to really move the needle in, in some way. And, and so we're inadvertently selling ourselves short uh, for what we could achieve. And, and that's something, you know, I feel sad if I see anyone doing that um, yeah. because I want everyone to, to lean into their potential and, and grow into it. And, you know, you said you have to take risk. You have to go after those complex wins. And sometimes you will fall on your face, but that's not a failure. And, and this is, I teach women that so many of us think that the definition of perfection is to achieve every outcome you set for yourself. Well, that just requires you to remain in your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. The definition of perfection is when you do your very best, when you're stretching your boundaries, when you're learning new things, when you are improving, when you're growing for, for your future. And if you don't achieve an outcome that you set for yourself, a short-term outcome, but you learn in the process. So what if you fell on your, on your face? In fact, you want people to watch you struggle. You want people to watch you get up. You want people that to see that you took a chance on yourself and that you have growth potential. Because even though you didn't achieve that short-term outcome, you built competencies that will enable you to shoot for higher success in the future, that will enable you to really create bigger success for yourself and your organization. So that was not a failure. You did not fall on your face. It was a lesson learned. Because over time, the experiences themselves don't matter. Who you become as a result of those experiences stay with you forever. So that wasn't a failure. That was a win in so many ways. Yeah. A any any learning happens through an iterative process. Uh, and you, you don't learn if you're comfortable and you don't learn if you're always achieving. You have to, I mean, so I use the term failure or the term achieving, like in the classical sense that we tend to use them, we need to reframe these terms and we need to reframe like what it even means because- uh, I, I completely agree with what you just said. I, I think too often uh, we really 
sell ourselves short because of the fear of failure without recognizing uh, it, it's the very act of doing and putting ourselves out there that is going to help us ultimately achieve something in the future. It may not be exactly what we had envisioned in our mind and, and aspire to, but new doors open for us to do new cool things only if, you know, we're, we're going to get out of our comfort zone. Um, Absolutely. And the other, so I do, I tell women, there's no such thing as failure. It's all about lessons learned. The other thing is the, the, the trust that you build, within yourself, the deep-seated confidence only comes when you have taken on this assignment that pushes you completely outside your comfort zone and you fell on your face and you struggled and you got help and you got up. And then you look back and you say, wow, I was so scared, but I figured it out. That self-narrative that you tell yourself, I was so scared, but I figured it out and look at what I learned in the process, that starts building this deep-seated confidence that will allow you to push yourself even further outside your comfort zone. And that creates an upward spiral for success. Yeah. Well, when I think about what you did, I have to be honest at the beginning when you said you left, you left your job to go help other people to pay back and forward and and then you kept dreaming bigger and bigger. That that made me uncomfortable just to hear that, even though, because now you know where you you landed and what you're doing and you can see the value in it. But to have the bravery to go forward, that that was amazing to me. And is a testament to what you're saying now, to be quite honest. So that's inspiring. And you know, we, we talk about all of these, we talk about all of these roles that we play as women. Because it's not just our careers, right? As women, we are mothers, we are daughters, we are so many different roles, we're caregivers. And so this is another interesting element when we're talking about the to-do list and prioritizing and, and how do we find that when we have limited time and energy, then how do we find that intentional as you're focusing on in this book so beautifully? How do we do that when we're talking about a work-life balance? I think that it can apply to all of us. Yeah. Women and men. You are 100% right, Angela. It doesn't matter how much we love our career. We are never just about our careers. We are mothers. We are daughters. We are sisters. We are friends. We are caregivers. And each one of these roles gives meaning to our life. It gives fulfillment to our life. It brings joy to our life. And we take the, that energy and that joy no matter where we go. And so the key here, and I learned this the hard way. This was, this was not me choosing to get outside my comfort zone. This was universe putting me outside my comfort zone. And I didn't have a say in it. I suddenly and unexpectedly became a single mom when my kids were two and four. I was a first line sales leader at the time with the Pacific Northwest that included Utah. So I've been to Utah many <laughs> times as my territory. And uh, when I became single, I was overwhelmed, preoccupied, couldn't, I just, I was completely devastated, completely out of sorts. I was not able to bring my best self to work or at home anywhere. And so I thought that I had to give up my leadership role because I can't give up my children and I'll stay, I'll become an individual contributor again. So I don't fail my team. I, it's okay if I fail, but I don't want to fail my team. And so I, 
almost made that decision, but every ounce of my being rebelled. Like my body was aching at the thought of giving up my sales leadership role, which took me 10 years. Angela, it took me 10 years to even ask for a promotion because I didn't see anyone that looked like me in any roles that I was in or was aspiring to be in. And so I overqualified like a lot of women do. Um, but that that thought of giving up that role was just not not working for me. And so that forced me to figure out how to balance my work and my life. Now, the good news was I was already very intentional about focusing my attention at work. That's how I had become a first-line sales leader, and that's how I was successfully leading my team. But then I had to learn how to apply the same discipline and focus to my home life or my life outside of work, set boundaries, and say no to everything that was not my strategic priority. But before I did that, what I had to learn was to put myself as my number one priority, my own mental well-being, because I had seen and witnessed that when I was out of sorts, I was not bringing my best self to any interaction. I was sub-optimizing my performance. I was sub-optimizing my team. I was just not doing the best possible job. And because here's the thing, in every interaction, there is you and the situation. And if you are depleted, the interaction is going to be sub-optimum and the outcome is going to be sub-optimum. And so what happens naturally for women is I used to take care of myself. I used to wake up in the morning, do my yoga, my meditation, eat a good breakfast. I used to sleep eight hours and I was doing really well until now I had to be both mom and a dad and I had to take care of my children, everything about them. And I immediately decided that their priorities had to become my priorities. And so I'd much rather just forget about taking care of myself and do all the tasks that were involved with taking care of them. But I realized that if I don't take care of myself, I can't really take care of anyone else. And so learning how to put myself on my calendar before anyone else was difficult, but it made me realize that it was necessary in order for me to show up in my full glory for my children, as well as for my team, as well as my organization, I had to first take care of myself. That's not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of reprioritization and shuffling. Maybe maybe some reprogramming. Society society says something different, <laughs> right? And and I think that yeah, I think that's that's a really really hard thing. There is um, a but, lot of unlearning we as yeah. women do because naturally we are wired to say yes to everything. We are wired to take care of everyone else before us. And this wiring doesn't serve us well. And then when you recognize that you're wired a certain way, the good news is you can rewire yourself. Yeah. 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 Well, Shalmina, I note the time. This has just been a great conversation. I think we could go on for hours, but- we probably need, need to let you go and get on with your busy day. So uh, we're going to start to wrap up. But before we wrap up, we wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Okay. So 
the book, you can find it online. Any of your local booksellers in Utah, please go ask them if they're not keeping it on the display. You can find me on LinkedIn. I have a website. If you just type my name, you will see that. Um, and the final message that I want to leave for people is, especially as we are approaching International Women's Day, the theme this year for Women's History Month is Inspire Inclusion. And so I want us women to take the ownership of stepping into the leadership pipeline and truly doing the work that it takes so we collectively inspire inclusion in leadership roles. And I am doing everything in my power to make sure that this Women's History Month doesn't become just another hashtag. And what I mean by that is last year for Women's History Month, the hashtag was no more biases. We all got up, took pictures, put our hands like this. And today there's more biases in the workplace because of all the geopolitical situations that we're faced with. And so let's truly inspire inclusion in leadership roles by taking ownership, stepping into the leadership pipeline. I am teaching you how to continue to emerge as a leader and thrive as a leader. So bet on yourself, take a chance on yourself and do this. And when we do this collectively, we will achieve gender equality in leadership roles and we will rewrite the rules of the workplace because there will be enough of us in every role, in every level, in every organization. I love it. Bet, bet on yourself. Absolutely. Shalmina, it's just been a pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Shalmina can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.